one of the, the big red flags with romance scams is that the person isn't able to meet you. So, but of course, with lockdowns and the pandemic and the lack of travel, that's not a red flag right now. That's normal. People can lose a lot of money. The scams are particularly effective because they're designed to be. When people go online to date, they're hoping to meet someone that's almost too good to be true. I'm Nicola Talent, and you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs, and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. In a world locked down, you'd expect internet dating to have taken a dive, but instead, Record numbers of people are looking for love on the web. And in one day alone in 2020, three billion swipes were recorded on Tinder. But is looking for romance on the net safe? And where are the dangers lurking online? Today, I'm talking to Dr. Nicola Fox Hamilton, an expert in love and the psychology of cyber relationships. She tells me how dangerous predators Romance fraudsters and sextortion experts have honed their skills to trick victims. And she says that while dating online is set to skyrocket in the new year, so too will the scams. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. So it seems to me that... Online dating is getting bigger and bigger, despite the fact that uh, you just wonder these days how you could even do it. Surely it has changed face and, and how it's done now is all video. I mean, I know not everybody is is adhering to the lockdown rules, but has there been a massive change in how this all happens in, in the past year? Yeah, I would say there has been. Um I've been doing some research myself. It's not finished yet, but I interviewed online daters during the first lockdown back in between sort of March and May, June, um, to see what had changed about online dating and what their experiences were like. And a lot of them were, um, so about half of them had met someone that they thought might work out as a potential partner. And they were spending a lot of time texting, um, phone calls, and some on video um, chats. But not all of them were using video. A lot of them were using texting as kind of the primary means of communication. And then the other half of the participants hadn't really met anyone and were finding it kind of frustrating. They were doing, a lot of people had started doing it because they had more time on their hands. They weren't going out. Um, Some were doing it because they'd realized that while they were very happy not being partnered up before the lockdown, they realized that they'd actually quite like to be with someone if this was going to go on. Um, But because they had um, primarily moved into text communication without the possibility of meeting up and not knowing when they might be able to meet up, because even though there was a you know, a projected end to the initial lockdown, there would still be social distancing for quite some time. So it really changed how people date. A lot of people talked about how normally they would communicate for only as long as it took to kind of get a sense of somebody and make sure there were no red flags. And then they would meet quite quickly and meet in person to see if there was chemistry, to see if they actually liked each other, to see if the person was who they said they were and how they presented themselves. Um, And of course, they weren't able to do that. So very, very few of the people that I talked to were breaking lockdown at all. A couple had gone on socially distanced dates. So like a walk in the park or things like that. And 
a lot of the time when they met, they found that the person wasn't quite how they had expected and it didn't work out, as a lot of online dates don't. I mean, most first dates in online dating aren't successful. And um, that's why people tend to meet quite quickly to kind of get a sense of that and then move on if it's not working. So this is all slightly alien to me, as you can imagine, as a crime journalist, there is just red flags everywhere (laughs) when it comes to meeting people online. You just become really quite paranoid and, and just expect there to be predators and serial killers everywhere. It just goes with the territory, I'm afraid. So, um, yeah, I'm going to be coming at it from this angle and maybe it's good that we're going to be good cop, bad cop, maybe between <laughs> us. Um, look, there have to be huge amount of risks out there in this and there do have to be like a huge amount of criminals lurking out there online with all sorts of reasons for wanting relationships or not. Um, You know, when you're online and you're talking to people either on text or on video, you're missing so many things from that face-to-face, all those intuitions and, you, you know, that gut feeling you get about people. Is there a way of overcoming that or is it just part of the risk? Um, I think it is part of the risk. And you're right that we're missing a lot of the cues that we have face to face. So we read so much from body language and tone of voice and pitch um, and how somebody behaves and how they act around other people. All those things um, are things that we're missing. And humans are quite adaptable. We're quite good at getting around some of those constraints. So we communicate some of the information in other ways. So we use things like emoji and, um, you know, grammar and all caps and Um, exclamation marks and lots of different things and GIFs and so on to communicate kind of social and emotional information. But it does make it more difficult to pick up on some of the red flags um, that you might pick up on face to face. And so there is a slightly higher risk from online dating. Now, I will say that at the same time, it's now the most popular way to meet a partner. So it's very successful for a lot of people. Um, that doesn't mean that they necessarily always enjoy it. Um, so it can be quite a frustrating experience. It can give people quite a lot of anxiety. There's lots of problems with online dating. Um, but it is quite successful in terms of bringing people together and connecting them. But there are definitely um, potentials there for problems and for things like romance scams, for sexploitation um, and other kinds of, of crime to happen. Um, so, for example, with romance scams, I would say particularly at the moment, it's even more problematic because one of the, the big red flags with romance scams is that the person isn't able to meet you. So they might have positioned themselves abroad where they can't get back to meet you or something like that. And normally that's, you know, you would want to meet somebody fairly quickly. Um, And if the person's unwilling, then that would be a red flag. But of course, with lockdowns and the pandemic and the lack of travel, that's not a red flag right now. That's normal. And so that's a big one that would be quite difficult to um, overcome. And people might miss that red flag and be more susceptible to those kind of romance scams at the moment. So bringing it back a little step there. Obviously, some people are going online because they genuinely want to meet somebody. They want a partnership. Um, You know, they probably want to meet husbands, wives, etc. The love of their life perhaps exists out there somewhere. Um, So what's drawing these uh, more sinister characters online? What are the motivations for somebody who is not there for, for those reasons? 
who's there for different reasons. What are they there for? Are they social misfits? Are they looking to gain something from this developed relationship? I think one of the biggest issues is with things like romance scams and blackmail sextortion. Um, So those people are there to make money. Um, So it's there for greed. And it tends not to be individuals doing it. It tends to be organized. Um, So out of West Africa and Nigeria in particular, some of the research shows as well, some Eastern European countries, there are organizations which are running mass scale romance scams where they're setting up online dating profiles or social media profiles to reel in victims. Um, So very attractive profiles, usually located somewhere abroad. Um, And they are designed to create a relationship with the victim. So they tend to have quite a long grooming process, particularly for romance scams, somewhere between six and eight months at least, to build a relationship and a very deep and connected relationship with the victim from the victim side, of course. Um, and they are designed to extort money from the victim. So usually there's, there's a whole process that takes place. So they set up this attractive profile for um, attracting men. It's usually a younger woman in an, a socioeconomically deprived country. That's the reason why she can't travel. And for the um, attracting women, it's usually an older, very attractive man, sometimes in the military, because that's a good excuse to be abroad and not be able to travel back. Um, they very quickly move the victim off the dating platform um, because if people start reporting them, the profile might get flagged. Um, so they move them into something like text messaging, email or phone calls, usually not video because video will show what the person looks like. And often it's not always the same person that the victim's talking to all the time. So it might be somebody working out of a folder of information about the victim and it's a different person or maybe people changing over on shifts. So it's almost like a, a kind of a factory level process. And they will sometimes, um, that the scam... Um, organizations will sometimes even hire psychologists to help them develop the scams more effectively and target people more effectively. So they will groom the victim over a period of time. So they'll start by kind of love bombing them. So they very quickly start telling them, you know, how much they love them, what a wonderful person they are. They're so special. They will communicate a lot with them. So a constant, constant communication with them. And the victims will often describe how they've never felt so listened to Um, They've never felt like somebody got them as much as this person. They've never felt so connected to somebody before because, of course, the scammers are listening to everything they say and telling them all the things that they want to hear. So they're giving them all the information that they want and they're giving them um, lots of love and attention and affection and compliments and so on. So the person really buys into it. And it's over a considerable period of time. So by the time that the scam actually takes place to gain money, the person feels like they're in a substantial romantic relationship. Um, And then usually what they'll do is invoke some sort of crisis. Um, And they'll say something like either a child is ill, they're ill, they've been in an accident, something's happened that's a crisis situation. And often they'll start by asking for a small amount of money. And of course, once they've given a small amount of money, the victims have given a small amount of money, then it'll build from there and become larger and larger amounts of money. And people can lose substantial amounts of money. When you talk about they find their victims. So if anybody started love bombing me like that, that would be a massive red flag for me, right? Okay, so other people clearly aren't like that. But 
Do they go and develop a profile on a victim? Is there kind of victim profiles? Is there types of people that are targeted? Are they people who, you know, maybe like romantic posts on Facebook, this kind of thing? Is this how they how they develop and, and, and find their victims in the first place? So by putting up profiles, they tend to allow the victims to come to them. So someone who is attracted to the profile um, will be, you know, a good start. But there is some um, psychological evidence and psychological research to show that um, middle-aged women are more likely to fall for it than others. That's not to say that anybody else can't, but middle-aged women are a little more likely to. Um, Also, people who are more impulsive and sensation-seeking are more likely to fall for scams, not just romance scams, but a lot of different kind of scams because they don't maybe think things through as carefully before they they um, get caught up in it. Um, and also there's some interesting research that shows that people who are more susceptible to addiction are more likely to fall for romance scams as well. Um, there's one researcher in the UK, Monica Whitty, who's done a huge amount of research on romance scams, both from the victim's point of view, mostly from the victim's point of view, but also from the scammer's point of view as well, looking at how the scammers rationalise what they do and so on. So in other words, the victims unfortunately go out and they look for something in life. And and funny, you find that sometimes with people who get involved in cults and who join up these other, uh, you know, movements that are offering them something. They're people who are maybe spiritual who are looking for something in life and uh, yeah, they go out and seek it. And then unfortunately they do sometimes lose their life savings. Um, yeah, it is quite similar um, in that people, you know, people who are online dating are seeking something. Um, they're seeking a partnership or a relationship. And there's, you know, there's so many elements of persuasion involved. And one of them is about scarcity. This idea that, you know, the one is out there for you. So if you find this person who's very attractive and really likes you and is giving you everything you need, it's very easy to overlook some red flags that you might otherwise notice because you're caught up in the idea that you found the one. Um, So they use kind of principles of persuasion very, very effectively. They're very good at what they do in that regard. Um, And it is similar to cult behavior. You know, cults tell you, you're different, you're special, so are we, and you belong with us. And the scammers do something quite similar in that I see you, I recognize you, you belong with me, we belong together. Um, so it's it's quite effective in that regard. And so it, it, it kind of kicks in some of our cognitive biases, which we use to deal with a huge amount of information, and we often use them very well. But in situations like this, they can really trip us up because we prefer information that confirms our existing beliefs. We like that information more. We find it more persuasive. And so there's examples where people have been talking to the scammer on the phone and they think it's an American general stationed somewhere abroad and their scammer has a West African accent and they don't notice because they don't want to hear that. They want to believe that the scam is true. And we all have the potential to fall for various different kinds of scams. This is kind of a bigger scam where you can lose a lot of money. But I mean, many of us have fallen for phishing scams just because we're tired and a bit distracted. um, And we've clicked on an email that we shouldn't and put in information that we shouldn't. Um, And a lot of these scams work in similar ways and they trigger those cognitive biases and they use persuasion in similar ways. Um, And so a lot of people are susceptible to them. So a new year coming and a lot of people are going to be dipping their toe into this market. Um, What are the red flags if 
the idea of meeting is no longer, you know, obviously if somebody arranges to meet and cancels and all that, what now are the big red flags there for people to look out for? So uh, very, very attractive profiles. Um, Older men and younger women um, who are attracted in people that they might not necessarily normally be. Um, The one where people can't meet. So there are opportunities to video call. Um, And if somebody won't video a call at all, so you'll often see things like their video phone is broken or they don't have internet connection, things like that. If that keeps going on and they can't find a way to do that, that would probably be the equivalent of not being able to meet in person. Um, also immediately moving you off the platform and then constant communication. And that is something that can normally happen um, in a non-scamming situation. So it can be quite difficult to pick out now what the, the red flags are. But if it's very intense and very overwhelming, um, it can be a good idea to take a moment and step back and maybe share with friends or with family or with someone you trust to see how they feel about it because they're not caught up in the moment of it um, and to see if it feels real. So some of the people who'd been dating online during the first lockdown in the pandemic had had video calls or video quizzes or things like that with their friends and their family and the new person. And things like that can be useful to make sure that nobody else maybe picks up on a red flag as well Um, because it is a little bit more difficult at the moment. And if somebody starts asking for money, that's a huge, huge red flag. And if you haven't met somebody, you really should not be sending them money. So ultimately, if it's too good to be true, yes, yeah, yeah. And that's difficult because when people go online to date, they're hoping to meet someone that's almost too good to be true. Um, And so you don't want to stop people believing in that because that's really important part of it. It's what helps people keep going with online dating because it can be quite a frustrating experience. So when they meet someone who is good, um, you do want them to believe that it's good, but they do also need to be quite cautious as well. So moving on to kind of more sinister territory, maybe, than the the idea of a broken heart. Um, You know, there is, I think people would be, most people would be aware of the possibility of going online and meeting somebody who is there for criminal acts. The likes of Patrick Nevin, who used Tinder uh, in order to satisfy his sexual desires. He's in in jail for rape and for sexual assault of girls that he met online. Um, those that were brave enough to come forward, and it's always believed there's plenty more in the background there. Brian Davey from the North, a convicted rapist who was also going on Tinder in order to try and meet women. Um, you know, what how kind of likely is it for somebody to have the misfortune of meeting somebody as predatory online? Is it the same likelihood as you have really of meeting somebody like that in real life? Because it's not that high. Although if you read the media and you read maybe somebody like my stories, you think that they're around every corner, but it's actually not like that. Life is not like that. So is is the chance of meeting somebody as dangerous as that as unlikely as meeting them in in real life? Um, it's, it's hard to know. There isn't really research on mm. the likelihood. Um, I would say it's as likely and maybe slightly likelier because for someone who's predatory, you know, connecting with someone online is easier than walking up to people in bars where there are other people around who might see you. Um, it's quite private. It's not visible to other people. And so there's benefits to someone who is predatory. Um, they can convince someone to maybe meet in somewhere that's not a public place. That's why I always, always recommend people 
for the first date and maybe even the second or third date to meet somewhere public and not go anywhere private with someone. Because how we communicate with people online is a little different to offline. And like we were talking about earlier, you're missing all of those face-to-face cues. And what happens is if you see someone's profile in an online dating site and you find it attractive, there's something called the halo effect, which means that if you like it, you will like all the other elements of the profile a little bit more. And then when you start talking to them and you're filling in the gaps in the information that you have, you tend to fill it in with positive information. And we also have a truth bias. So in the absence of information that tells us otherwise, we trust people. It's part of what helps society get along. But when someone isn't truthful, when they're being deceptive and when they're predatory, that can be a problem, obviously. And so what you can have is, um, again, a, a little bit of a grooming process where somebody meets someone, they appear very attractive, and then they arrange to meet someone in either a public or a private place and then convince them quite quickly to move to a private place where they can conduct whatever crime it is that they want to. And so it's it's an ideal environment for that. Thankfully, it doesn't seem to be more common um, online. But again, there isn't a huge amount of research on that. And a lot of these kinds of crimes are hugely underreported, as you said. Yeah, because people are embarrassed. And the fact of the matter is they feel stupid. It's like when they, you know, lose money to scammers online who told them that they have, you know, won the lotto and they just need to send a certain amount of, of money. I mean, you actually don't think that this thing really does happen, that it's a myth. And then sometimes I, I cover some of the criminal assets bureau lists where they're actually at the other end of those scams where they've discovered that money that has been scammed from people and they are seizing it back to the state into the state coffers and there is just so much of it there's an unbelievable amount of it and yet we don't seem to hear from these victims too often because they're really ashamed and I take it that people who go and meet a bloke or a girl and and are scammed or are sexually assaulted are just mortified that they've become a victim and maybe they prefer to forget it. Yeah, I definitely think there's a lot of that. And there's a lot of victim blaming. So it's understandable why people would feel like that. Um, If you look at how sexual assault victims are talked about in the media, but particularly in comment sections and online, there's a lot of blaming people for themselves. And you see comments like, well, if the person was dating online, they were asking for it. You know, I mean, they were obviously there for sex. There's still a perception amongst people who've never tried online dating that it's all about hookups. And so that if somebody is online dating, they must be there for the sex. And of course, that's not true. Um, The vast majority of people who are online dating are actually looking for a relationship. Now, they might also be looking for sex, which is perfectly reasonable. Um, But a lot of them are looking for relationships. But even if somebody is looking for hookup, they are not looking to be raped. Um, And so it can be very difficult for people to come forward. We know that, you know, intimate partner violence is difficult to come forward with. Rape um, victims find it very difficult to come forward. People are ashamed, they're traumatized, um, and they're afraid that they won't be believed and listened to and that they'll be put through a difficult process in the justice system as well. And so there's huge barriers to finding out, you know, how many people this is happening to. Um, So, yeah, it is it is very problematic area. That's why research like your own, I mean, while it's outside that area, it is hugely important to all of us. The um, sextortion, which you mentioned, sextortion, Mm -hmm. uh, to say it's lower, which you mentioned earlier, um, that is massive. And again, that's another area where a lot of people, I imagine, are too embarrassed to, to speak about that. But is that largely targeting men? Um. 
it's hard to know um, from the research, but I suspect that that probably is given how it happens. So there is less of a grooming process. Romance scams are all about forming a connection with the victim over time. Um, sextortion tends to happen quite quickly. So somebody so explain it to us. So it what tends to happen either through social media or through a online dating profile. Um, a very attractive profile again will be set up. And the person starts flirting via text and then asks to connect via video. And there is a person on the other end of it, so they can see them. Um, And they'll usually engage in some sort of sexual activity, but the person on the other end is recording it. And then they threaten to share it with their work colleagues, their family and so on, unless they give money. Um, And of course... People are terrified that it will be shared, and there's a good chance it will be. Um, unfortunately, like the the scammers aren't uh, holding back on doing that. If somebody doesn't give money, they have done it. Um, but if you give a little bit of money, then they will continue to ask for more and more and more. It doesn't end there. Um, and so the the best possible thing to do is go to the guards um, or the police immediately when something like that happens. Um, but again, people feel ashamed. Um, they've been caught on camera doing something that they you know, wouldn't necessarily want other people to know that they were doing, they're embarrassed about it, Um, they're afraid to tell friends or family. Sometimes they're married or in partnerships and they really don't want their partner to find out. Um, So there's all sorts of things going on there, but people can lose a lot of money if they don't talk to the guards. Um, And there was actually a show um, on TG Cahir called Noira, and it was about these um, sextortion scams and they got people to talk about, like some very brave people came forward and talked about um, the scams and talked about what had happened to them and had reported them to the guards um, to try and help other people not fall for them. Mm. It sounds like a real minefield out there, I have to say, this whole online dating and meeting and, uh, you know, how do you sort of make your way through it safely? And and have you spoken to people and in your most recent research is about online dating during lockdown have you spoken to people who have happy outcomes? Um, unfortunately not. <laughs> so in my first round of interviews during the lockdown, there were a number of people who were chatting to someone that they liked quite a lot and that they thought might potentially turn into a partner. Now, they were quite cautious and aware that they hadn't met in person. And so it was all contingent on meeting in person and that going well and there being chemistry there and so on. But they were quite positive about the idea of it. Um, I did follow up questionnaires afterwards. And as time went on, less and less of those relationships had worked out. So some people had met and there was no chemistry or the person wasn't quite how they had um, originally perceived them um, or they were quite different to how they perceived them. Um, Other people, it just hadn't worked out. It had fizzled out because they weren't able to meet in person you know, keeping the interest in talking online when you haven't met somebody um, is quite difficult. And so those just hadn't worked out over time. Um, so I don't think any of the people I had spoken to who, who conducted the follow-up um, questionnaires had actually worked out. So I think it is good to be cautious. Like people had invested quite a lot of time and I don't think that people necessarily regretted doing that, but they had invested quite a lot of time and energy and emotion and anticipation into what they hoped might be a relationship and those hadn't worked out. So I would say going into the next lockdown now, if people are going to be online dating, as a lot of people do after Christmas, um, to be quite cautious about it and, and kind of take a step back every now and then and, and think about what you're doing and how much you're investing in it. 
And any of your uh, research subjects, did they feel that they were being scammed? Did they did any percentage of them feel that there was something more sinister going on than? No, no, not at all. Um, it was more just that things hadn't worked out. Now, quite a few of them talked to me about, you know, cases where they had been meeting through online dating beforehand, just regular online dating, and where people had showed up and didn't look like their photographs particularly. But I think that's quite common. And it's not necessarily a sign of a scam. It's just um, how a lot of people date online is they put up the best photograph of themselves ever taken. And there's some research to show that, particularly for women, that the more attractive their photograph is, the older it's likely to be. Um, so there is some of that going on in online dating. Like a lot of people are a bit deceptive in online dating, um, but it's not always an indication of a scam. And thankfully, you know, given the amount of people who are online dating, given the fact that online dating is now the primary way that people meet a partner, there are comparatively few people getting scammed, but it is still a big problem. We still need to educate people about it. And obviously it's not the only way people are being scammed on online. There's all sorts of, um, you know, banking scams and, you know, I'm even terrified still to put through my uh, my credit card and things, but I'm just a bit of a dinosaur with it all. Um, really, I think it all comes back to, and like what we're talking about in the romance, sometimes if it's too good to be true, it seems to me from what you're saying, it's only the good looking people that get a chance, by the way, in the beginning. So there's all these sort of ordinary looking people who are never connected with in the first place. So maybe they're all the good ones <laughs> are being forgotten. But it seems to me that common sense is the most important thing to bring to the laptop. And the same common sense is as you'd use in real life, you know, to try and be able to speak to people, to see videos, to, to get a sense of that they're real, that their world is real, that, you know, in video chats, at least you can see around people's environments. Um, and, you know, is that is that really it, to just bring a little bit of common sense to the table and to not expect too much? Um, well, I think yes and no. Um, so scammers are very good at what they do. So if you solidly believe in your own common sense, you might actually miss some things. Um, so it's, it's important to be quite aware and critical and it's important to educate people. Um, so not everybody is aware of these kind of scams and how they work. Um, and the same, like we educate people about phishing emails and you have to keep re-educating people about those because once our awareness drops, we stop seeing the red flags in them. Um, so I, I did a talk on, um, you know, cybersecurity and phishing emails in organizations. And phishing emails are the emails that you get that look like they're from the bank or revenue or PayPal, and they're actually not. And they're encouraging you to click on a link and enter your account details. So they're trying to scam you out of money or trying to get your information, commit identity theft, those kinds of things. And lots of people fall for them. And one of the reasons is that when we are going through our emails, we tend to be kind of doing it automatically. We have a lot of email to process, a lot of information to deal with. And so we use cognitive shortcuts. And the emails are designed to look enough like our bank or revenue and so on that they trick us into falling for them. So they use authority. The revenue is telling you that you've got um, to enter your details to get your tax back. Or PayPal will... PayPal will send an email saying that you need to protect your security, that your account's been compromised. And so these kind of things create a sense of urgency. Um, sometimes it's about greed. So, you know, you can get money by clicking on this. 
And that overrides sometimes our rational decision making and stops us seeing red flags. So maybe everything in the email isn't spelled correctly. Maybe the email address isn't quite right. Um, and so we, we fall for these things um, not because we're, we don't have common sense or we're stupid or um, we're, we're not paying attention. It's usually a bit of distraction or we're focused on something else or the scams are particularly effective because they're designed to be. Um, so it isn't always about common sense. So we, we do have to educate people. So companies that are trying to get their employees not to fall for phishing scams need to educate regularly. So if you do it once, um, people falling for it drops for a while, for a few months. And then you need to do it again because otherwise people forget and they start to automatically process their email again. Um, so knowing about these kinds of scams um, can help prevent people falling for it. But it's also particular types of people who are more vulnerable to the scams as well, particularly things like romance scams and so on. Mm -hmm. So really in the romance scams, it will eventually become evident, obviously, that it is that. And usually it is because it'll be for money. They'll be looking for some money alone, something like that. And that is probably the biggest red flag that we have out there in the in these in these romance scams. Yeah. That seems to be the biggest motivation yeah. for them. And some people pick up on it before that and then that confirms their belief. Other people fall for that scam and will pay out some money and then pay out more and more money. And there's been cases even where the police have gone to somebody and said, look, you're being scammed. We found out about this, this network and you're being scammed. And they find it extremely difficult to believe because there's a double loss. They've lost money, but they've also lost maybe the most important relationship to them. Um, and there's been cases where the relationship's been going on for years and they lose that relationship. And there's huge loss in that and shame and grief. Um, and sometimes the scammer has come back to the person again and the, or the person goes to them and says, you know, I can't believe you scammed me. I thought we had a relationship. And the scammer will say, well, initially I was scamming you, but I actually fell for you and I'm not scamming you anymore. And I, I really love you. And sometimes the person will go to that country to try and meet up with them or give them more money again. So they'll fall for a second wave of the scam, even though they've been told by police that they're being scammed. So it's a very powerful kind of scam um, and particularly preys on people's emotions and they suffer a huge emotional loss from it sometimes. Okay, Nicola, well, look, thank you for all of that. And I think we would both say to anybody who is who is who is going into this to to just bear in mind that you're kind of you know, there's, there is all sorts of scenarios. Things aren't always as they seem. And ultimately, good luck out there. Yes, absolutely. Thank you very much. Thank you, Nicola. From sundayworld.com, this is Crime World, produced by Ian Mullaney. Available online and on all podcast platforms. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review. And if you want to get in touch, check out our Facebook page, Crime World with Nicola Talent. <laughs>